Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Kia ora and welcome to Our Changing World on RNZ National with Alison Balance and Veronica Maduna. We'll start with the good, the bad and the unknown about sunshine. We all need ultraviolet radiation in sunlight to produce vitamin D. But at the same time, UV radiation burns our skin and that damage is responsible for New Zealand's high rates of melanoma. Martin Allen is a material scientist at the University of Canterbury and he's developed a wearable UV sensor which he hopes to introduce into schools so that students can track their own exposure to UV. I asked him how much UV is good and where it starts to be bad. UV radiation makes up only about 9% of the total energy from the sun, but it's in those wavelengths which have high energies, and that's high enough to damage the elastic fibres in your skin and also um, to damage the DNA um, in your skin, which leads to higher risk of developing skin cancers. At the same time, UV is crucial for us to be able to make vitamin D. Or is it a different part of the spectrum of sunlight? No, it's a two-edged sword and it's still not that well understood. So this, virtually the same wavelengths that burn our skin also are needed to produce vitamin D in our skin. That's our primary source of vitamin D is from our skin. And it's not a very good bit of intelligent design, if you like. You definitely need some, but if you get excessive levels of UV, then you increase your risk of um, skin cancer. So, yeah, this is why it's such a complicated research area. And this is why we've tried to develop some tools to measure people's UV exposure and to work out how much is good, how much is is not so good. I've been involved with an HRC-funded project run by Professor Robert Scragg of the University of Auckland, which has looked at a a large number of New Zealanders and measured their sun exposure, taken um, blood samples to measure their vitamin D, and then tried to correlate the vitamin D levels with their sun exposure. So your role in this was to actually develop the optical devices to measure this. They're wearable kind of devices. Can you describe them for me? Yeah, they're electronic devices. So um, historically, um, scientists have measured UV using chemical badges, uh, polysulfone films, which just give an integrated dose over how long you're wearing them, and they are quite variable and they can saturate. So we've used actually an um, electronic UV detector and link that to a microprocessor and lots of memory so we can record people's UV exposure almost continuously, normally once every four seconds, and that way we can get their peak exposure, we can cut the exposures into times of day, we can work out how much they're getting at the key times of day from 11 till 4, we can work out their dose per day, their dose per hour, so we really get a lot more information to play around with as as scientists to work out... um, we know what's good exposure, what's bad exposure. Cause and is that what you're catching there? Is that different from ambient 
UV levels because there's a difference between what is actually out there in that radiation but also what we're getting, absorbing with our skin. Yes, I mean, so there's the ambient levels, which you can actually um, find from NIWA's got a very good website called UV and Ozone, which will tell you the predicted UV levels for any day. And that will give the, the UV levels at any time of the day on a horizontal surface. Obviously, the human body's not horizontal. We're constantly moving. So we'll get higher levels than that when we're pointing directly at the sun. So we normally wear these devices on, on the wrist or even on the uh, top of hats. For construction workers, we'd put them on hard hats. But ideally, a surface where you move around a lot, like your arm, you move around a lot. So you're going to probably get a typical amount of dose from that position. You're wearing one of those buttons on yes. your shirt. I am. So you can put them on your shirt, you can <laughs> put them on your wrist, you can put them on uh, hard hats, and then kids can plug them into a uh, little holder like this, and they connect to a meter, and they can actually see the UV levels in real time on a meter, as well as recording them for later download. So the size of this is really like a big button, size of a large coin, essentially, yes. very lightweight too, so it's really perfectly wearable. Yes, it's, it's about just less than 20 grams, the size of a, you know, a coin, and yeah, you can... And you've got them with different straps, like a, a wristwatch or yeah, like wristwatch, what you've just attached to your shoe. Or you like can that, actually, yeah. um, we have ones which you can actually um, fix the bike helmets, you can fix the construction workers' hard hats, um, to get, and also sort of caps and things like that. You mentioned kids. Is that the main target group that you've got? Because you yourself were or are a teacher as well? Yeah, when I came to New Zealand 20 years ago, I was a high school teacher for the first eight years, and I noticed during playground duty how strong the sun was over here. I mean, everyone knows it's a harsh climate over here. And um, so Christchurch is the same latitude as um, Monaco or Nice, and uh, Auckland's the same latitude as Gibraltar. So, you know, we're in a much higher UV climate here. Uh, the levels are high. You notice that when you, you know, when you get off the plane, you notice that. And I, I was a teacher for the first eight years, and I was a bit worried about the, the, the kids because they're outdoors for up to an hour each day. At exactly that peak time. UV time. And in fact, um, at secondary schools, we lock the classrooms. They have to be outside. Um, they seem to have you know, forgotten all the sun-smart behaviour they might have learned at primary school, and they're getting very high doses. So I thought it would be nice to you know, actually measure the doses and develop tools where the um, students can actually measure the UV for themselves and then make their own decisions about um, what was sun-safe behaviour. Rather than being told by teachers, exactly to. What, what to do, yeah. And this has led this led to a uh, work in Los Angeles with uh, expat Kiwi um, Professor Miles Coburn at the University of Southern California, and he sort of took these devices and ran with them and developed a whole program in uh, Los Angeles schools where they have a dosimetry laboratory. They spend an hour, and the students um, use these devices to map out the UV levels around their school. So uh, where they had their lunch, um, direct sun on the playground, in shade. They'll do some experiments with, um, say, sunscreen or sunglasses or sun hats and actually then come to their own conclusions about where the high levels are, what good protection is. So the whole idea is if you get kids to learn things from themselves with some guidance, but if you actually give them the tools to learn them from themselves, this leads to more lasting behavioural changes. And this is what they've found. They've found that actually sun-safe behaviour improves when the children do these kinds of experiments. And what I'm trying to do with this talk is get some interest in New Zealand and trying to get this done in New Zealand schools, New Zealand primary schools, and, and then eventually New Zealand secondary schools.
There were trials in schools as well as targeting people like you know skiers and people who work outdoors. But what you'd like to see is really have these devices in all schools. Yes, yeah, so when I developed them, there was a lot of interest for using them in studies for like for construction workers. Um, for vitamin D, you completely changed the whole sort of you know debate a little bit. People wanted more information about UV exposures for vitamin D, so a lot of the work. Was, was done in that kind of area. Um, looking at skiers was one of the first papers we published was on um, enhanced levels on a ski field, but also playing cricket, playing golf in the summer, things like that. But the, the you know the first love for this was really um, using them as an educational tool in schools. So this is why you know we want to bring them back. About um, three or four months ago, I was approached by an intermediate school. Uh, pupil um, in Christchurch whose uh, mother and, and family had a history of melanoma and she wanted to find out how sun-safe her school was and exactly you know what the difference between shade and open sun was and what protective measures she could take and she ended up using one of these devices in a uh, science fair project where um, you know she, she, she answered those questions and uh, made some recommendations you know about what we know what the school should be doing and hopefully um, you know this summer we'll be going back and getting her to run some you know programs for the class getting them to go through the same sort of program that we're doing in Los Angeles um, over here. And I guess the importance of that is not only to catch young people early to change their behavior early but also because it's that the risk of melanoma is linked to the lifetime exposure. Yeah, exposure during childhood is very important and it can be uh, quite a large percentage of your total lifetime exposure. Um, you're in school for 190 days a year, probably you know, 15 minutes of that, you're out at lunchtime um, in, in the sun. So yeah, exposure in, in childhood is, is very important and, and uh, reducing excessive ex exposure is one way we can reduce the burden of melanoma in this country. And we know we've got extremely high skin cancer rates and uh, you know, one way of, of reducing those is to educate people at you know, school level because they'll carry that sun-safe behaviour throughout their life and also by reducing excessive exposure during uh, childhood, reducing sunburns, uh, we can reduce the risk of um, them developing skin cancer later in life. Let me bring you back to the material science of it. How tricky is it to design something that can capture exactly that, our exposure to UV? It's very tricky and there's a lot of bad sort of sensors out there which you've got to be careful about using because there's so much more visible light than there is UV light. So you have to design a sensor that's a thousand times more sensitive to UV than it is to visible light. Otherwise, you start measuring visible light. And there is a key difference uh, between the transmission of UV through clouds in the atmosphere than from visible light. So if you have a sensor which responds to visible, it won't respond to the potentially high levels of UV during sort of some cloudy days or the enhancements you get uh, with broken cloud. Um, so, yeah, but you have to use special materials and um, things, semiconductors like um, aluminium gallium nitride, zinc magnesium oxide, and you have to make those semiconductors with very few defects because the defects will cause them to respond in the visible and you don't want to be measuring visible light and telling people it's UV light because it just behaves in, in different ways. So technically it's not easy 
we spend a lot of time making sure that these sensors actually do measure the, the, the visible part and they measure, have the same response as your skin. So your skin has a well-defined response. It responds across the UV spectrum, but it's, it's more sensitive in the UVB in, in the short wavelengths, around 320 nanometers, somewhere like that. And we have to design, make sure we use materials which mimic human skin. And so it's, it's yeah, technically it's, it's tricky, but doable. But is there... Is there wriggle room within the technology that you've developed to be even more specific and be able to tease apart which parts of the UV spectrum are, say, the damaging ones or the important ones for vitamin D production? Yes, I have a Rutherford Discovery Fellowship from the Royal Society of New Zealand, which has one of, one of the objectives is to do that, is to actually design something which can give you, can split up your exposure into wavelength ranges so we can try and see, um, you know, if the vitamin D action spectra, which... Are, are correct. So an action spectra is what we assume to be the way the skin produces vitamin D in response to UV light. Um, scientists think it's n they're not right. Uh, so by splitting up the UV spectrum in, and measuring different wavelengths, uh, you know, we hope to be able to um, improve our knowledge of how vitamin D is made. And that was Martin Allen, a material scientist at the University of Canterbury. That's all for now, but you can stay in touch with us on Twitter at rnz underscore science. Kia ora mai.